Welcome to Run This World. My name is Nicole DeBoom. I'm a former pro athlete turned entrepreneur. Each week, I'll bring you insights and inspiration from some of the world's greatest visionaries who will help you run your world in ways that you didn't even realize were possible. All in the framework of the amount of time it takes for the average person to run a 5K. That's 36 minutes and 38 seconds, give or take a mile. We often go long, so get ready. Thank you for spending some time with me today. Now let's get this workout started. Hey, everybody. I am having a great morning, getting ready for the holidays over here. I don't know about you guys, but I live with a person, Tim DeBoom, who pretty much has everything. <laughs> it's uh it's become increasingly hard over 20 plus years to think of awesome and creative things for my husband. So after you listen to this or right now, push pause, get on my Facebook page and send me gift ideas for the guy who has everything, keeping in mind he loves the outdoors. That is really his big driving motivation. All right, so let's get let's get down to it here. Today we're actually here to meet someone new. Many of you will have never heard of Myrna Valerio before. I hadn't heard of her until oh about a year ago. Uh, she is a skirt sports ambassador. So disclaimer there. Um, once I found out about her, I decided that I needed to have her par- uh, be part of our family. She started a blog called Fat Girl Running. Oh, a few years back. Um, she was on the fast track to basically uh, an early grave. She was working two jobs. She had a toddler. She was not sleeping. She was not exercising. She was not taking care of herself. And she definitely had a big wake-up call. And at that time, she weighed over 300 pounds. She actually doesn't know how much she weighed because she didn't weigh herself when she got all the way up into those scary numbers. But There was a moment when she realized that she needed to make life change, and if she didn't do it soon, she wasn't going to see her baby grow up. So she found running. And it's really interesting because you see people out there who are working out, who are running, who are on the trails, whatever, who clearly are bigger. Um, We use the word fat a lot in this episode, something that feels weird to me and isn't all that comfortable, but we really uh, break it down and and share with you a little more of why that word, uh, the power that that word has. And Myrna obviously embraces it in certain ways. And the point of embracing the word fat is not because being fat is necessarily healthy for people, but that you can find health at all sizes and we need to start accepting each other um, on our journeys. So it's a really cool podcast today because Myrna is truly just a real person who other people saw doing something that looked impossible for someone of her size. Um, and decided that instead of turning their backs on her, they would embrace her, and she became a huge motivator for so many people. So today we talk about all those different issues surrounding body image um, and learning about how to be conscious about how you speak in front of other people, and especially with your children, because you're instilling different belief systems in them from a very young age. So there's so much to this episode. I'm going to go ahead and turn it over, and I hope you truly enjoy it today. 
All right. I am so, so excited to be on the phone today with my friend and Skirt Sports Ambassador and real person, badass, genius activist to the whole world, wide world and community of women runners everywhere. Myrna Valerio, how's that intro for you? Hey, I, I love it. <laughs> <Can you do laughs> <again>? <laughs> um, I think we'll be making you new business cards very soon. I love it. Um, so I'm talking to you actually via Skype because you are a super, super busy woman. And I really want to, you know what, before we even get started, tell us where you are right now and what you're doing. I'm in Washington, D.C. on a work trip, um, attending a conference of the, the Association of Boarding Schools, because I work at a boarding school, and um, and I'm here to, you know, further my knowledge. I, I work in diversity, equity, and inclusion at my school, and, um, you know, I'm just trying to learn more and, you know, be more, uh, I just want to make sure that I am ready for whatever comes at me in terms of equity issues that deal, you know, with students and faculty and all the good things. <laughs> So yeah, what does a uh, what do you do in that field? Like, how do you what does that role mean in a school? Are you in a classroom or are you more like a counselor? Well, I also teach Spanish. <laughs> That's my other job at the school. But um, I, you know, and I see that actually as part of my equity and inclusion work. What I what I do is I I make sure that everyone, or I try to make sure anyway that everyone feels included and everyone feels as though they have a voice in the school, whether it's in class, whether it's as a faculty member, whether, you know, we have a really international school. We have 20, 28% of our student body is international. And then we have a, a very large percentage of people of color at our school um, and, you know, in the mountains of Georgia. So it's, it, it, that's kind of an anomaly in itself because, you know, in typically in mountain communities, you don't have a lot of diversity, racial diversity, religious diversity, et cetera. But, but we do at our school. And so we're trying to, you know, build community. We're, we're trying to, again, make sure everyone feels and is included in in every aspect of the school. So I have a lot of difficult conversations. I have a lot of wonderful conversations, you know, particularly with the the election a couple of weeks ago, that spurred some conversations, <laughs> some very interesting I ones. I can imagine. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, really that it directly relates to what I do in my personal life as, you know, sort of a uh, a role model for the inclusion of people of different sizes in sports. You know? wow. so, like, yes. Like, so it's it's interesting because a certain type of person and personality is drawn to this type of work in the world. And usually that's not just out of the blue. I mean, maybe it is for some people who just have a very big tendency towards the trait of empathy, but often it's because you know, people like you have experienced certain things that have, I don't know, created this this vision for tolerance and a non judgmental way and and focusing on inclusion. So I think that is it makes a lot of sense. And maybe we should dig into your background. Tell us how you got to be. You know wh how how this became your calling. Well, you know, I I don't know. <laughs> you know, I've had lots of. Great experiences. When I was in, um, I, I went to boarding school in high school, and it really was the first time that I felt part of a community. Um, it was an all-girls school. It was really small, and I had always been very, very shy. And most people don't believe that I was, like, extremely shy. <laughs> and I'm still pretty introverted, but, like, I was really shy, um, and I had 
problems making friends and keeping friends and, you know, talking with people my age. I could talk to adults just fine. And um, and so I went to the school. It was an all-girls school, and they encouraged us to just be ourselves, and they supported us in that, and, and but also encouraged us to try new things. And so that was, and that's kind of the way I've lived my life um, since then. And I, and I've had, and I had really great opportunities to meet all different kinds of people at the school. And you know, it was really diverse and really, you know, for the time, it was very, very progressive. You know, so I tried sports, and I because I'd never tried sports before, and I, and I became a person who loved sports um, and who loved running and who loved theater and and I you know singing <laughs> and um and so that's kind of where that came from and that has stayed with me you know since 1989 was when I started in high school and so and the whole the whole thing about it was that it was very inclusive and you know as I said very diverse and and then I went to Oberlin <laughs> College which is you know it's all about social justice you walk on campus you are an activist whether you want to be or not so um and so that's kind of where that that all comes from and I think uh, but it really took me going to the high school that I went to to you know awaken that in me it's it's interesting because I am not an introvert, but I, like you, didn't talk for years. I was very shy when I was really young. So what is it that changed that for you? Was it doing sports? And, you know, do you tie being introverted to being insecure or was it just sort of who you were? That's just that's just who I was. Um, I, you know, I'd grown up in a loud family, <laughs> um, and, and most of them are extroverts, <laughs> uh, and they're all comedians. And, uh, it was this loud, bustling, big family. And, um, but I always kind of retreated to reading books and just doing things on my own because, well, I didn't have a whole lot of social skills either. <laughs> so, and those are things that I actually had to learn in high school. And I did. And, and, and part of that was through sports and through participating in activities that I had never done before. Um, and, but, I'm, you know, I'm still an introvert. I still love to just be in my hotel room and reading, <laughs> you know, writing, uh, just being on my own. But I can, I can do the other thing. Like, I, I can be extroverted when I need to, but it's exhausting. <laughs> well, and, you know, by nature of your job and being around kids, you can't mm-hmm. just be within yourself all the time. And right. kind of that true definition of an extrovert is you actually gain energy from the energy around you, right? So after a big event, you're actually jazzed and can't fall asleep for hours. And the true inter- introvert goes home and they're exhausted and they crash in five seconds yeah that's (laughs) (laughs) so you're a social introvert I love that um so it sounds like sports and healthy living were not prioritized in your family no you know it was you know it was an urban family um and you know growing up I guess well in my family I think people felt and were to a certain extent um disenfranchised from healthy living <laughs> from sports you know it was it, it was expensive to play sports you, if you wanted to be on a team you had to pay a fee and from time to time my family was on public assistance so like that wasn't even a thing that we could think about doing because we were worrying about food and housing <laughs> um, and heating the house so um, and, you know keeping the electric on so you know it wasn't it wasn't really a thing um, you know we were outside all the time we uh, it was a time when we could all go outside and, and play outside and, you know, just kind of run the streets and go from park to park and, and hang out with you know all of our cousins in the big group um, for hours and hours. So we did that. We weren't it wasn't like, you know, we weren't in 
the house watching TV like most kids do now. Um, and, you know, again, it's a different time. But we, we were active, but we weren't sort of intentionally, you know, doing sports or whatever. And, and that, un, until I went to high school, I didn't really have any experience with sports. Well, and do you ever feel like you missed out because of that? Like some of the people listening have kids and they may or may not choose to put them in more structured sports when they're young. Do you think like, you know, you you often would think like, oh, Serena Williams, if she never, and Venus, you know, if they never got a racket in their hand, how would they know, you'd know they could be the best in the world. I'm not saying you could be the best in the world in anything, but you know, maybe you could have, or you picked up running so much later in life do you ever wish that you had picked it up earlier? You know, I don't feel like I missed out on anything. There were, you know, there were other things that were really, really awesome about my childhood. I mean, it was a great urban growing upness. <laughs> <laughs> That's a word, no problem. <laughs> we got it. <laughs> I like to make words up. Um, you know, it, it was, uh, you know, because we were such a large family and we always had kids to play with and you know we were always outside having fun so that was that was great um you know and I think a lot of kids don't have that these days you know you don't get to just go outside and and play for hours like it's like undirected play it's not a play group it's (laughs) right you know we and, and we depended on each other uh for safety and 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 for ideas to do you know for what to do and um and it was really really fun so I, I don't feel like I missed out. I, I, I do wish to a certain extent that I had some experience with some kind of sport. <laughs> but um but you know, I think the way things the way things happened, I I'm I'm really happy that they did. The well, let, they- let's talk about like your relationship with your body and your weight and sort of the issues that lead into why you've become in, you know, joined the mainstream consciousness of our country. Yeah, um, you know, I'm from a black American family, and typically, although it's changing to a certain extent now, typically um, black Americans and other black people around the world don't have the body issues that everybody else does, uh, or the body image issues that everybody else does, because, you know, it's just not a part of our culture. You know, if you are a little bit heavier, a little bit curvier, um, more statuesque or ribbonesque, that's seen as something of beauty um, and and so something to be lauded. So there isn't a whole lot of pressure to be skinny or to diet or to, you know, try to conform to the societal norm of beauty, whatever that is. You know, but of course, you know, that is, you know, leaking into the culture a little bit because, because of the <laughs> prevalence of media. But it, it really, it wasn't a thing. And so I, I never, ever felt any pressure to change my body because somebody didn't like the way I looked because of my size. So I never felt that. And so it was really foreign to me, you know, when I heard about people being anorexic or uh, because they felt like they were fat, um, even though they were really thin. And, you know, in someone in, in college and when people would like go on these diets because they felt like they were fat. <laughs> you know? uh, and, you know, so that was really weird to me. And it really wasn't until I was an adult that, you know, it started becoming more clear to me that, that people had issues with their body. So you raise a really good point. And I'm, I'm just trying to understand why it's sort of race segregated this idea of body image 
um, and certain types of bodies being more acceptable and not other types. And, and I think there's so many women, Latinas and white women and women of other cultures who are curvy and have more weight on their bodies, but they don't have that beautiful, healthy body image that you do. Is it a race thing? Well, I mean, it's a, it's a racial thing, but it's also a social class thing. And, you know, of course those things, and I can get real technical and, you know, talk about intersectionality, (laughs) but I won't, you know, it, it used to be that in, in most of the world, uh, women or just people in general who were, you know, bigger, curvier, you know, were seen as, as, as beautiful. But there was a, and I don't really know what, when the dates are, but it, it changed suddenly when, um, someone decided that being thin was a symbol of having a higher social class, you know, having just class in general. Um, and so that's when the tide turned. And, and I really should know the dates because I'm supposed to know about these things. But, um, but somebody decided that it was unacceptable to be big and that thin was in. And, and you know, I, I think that was in the 20s or 30s. I'm not sure. But and, and that's when the tide turned for everyone and it became more and more important for people of certain social classes to exude this thin look um and if you were bigger you were obviously of a lower social class you were obviously someone who didn't have any self-control because that was also a big thing that was that was tied into um you being able to um keep yourself thin, you know, and then of course there wasn't all this science around about, you know, like healthy at every size and health at every size. You know, there, there wasn't all that. <laughs> um, so yeah, those things were tied. So you had the social class thing and social class is very intricately related to race. So <laughs> if you're thinner and whiter, then you were seen as somebody of a higher social class. It's, is, isn't this amazing? The, you can really go back in time through the generations and see how things have changed and shifted. And we're taught, we're using a lot of words that I actually, they often make me uncomfortable and I'm raising a little girl who's four going on five, not, not 50, Mm -hmm. not four going on, you know, whatever she's four going on five. And, um, and you've got a son, right? Yes. And how 13 13 going on what? 13 going on 40. I mean, he's an old man in a 13-year-old body. <laughs> I love it. And so we're thinking about things in different ways as parents too, but we're using the word fat a lot and we're using the word thin a lot. And I, I struggle to, mm-hmm. use, ha, to use those words around my daughter because I don't want her right. to associate them with negative or positive things. And so I have to really think right. about how I use these words and especially the word fat. I mean, I want to understand right. mm-hmm. your... What's your feeling about that word? Um, I, you know, it's a, it's a word that has a lot of power, um, and it's mostly negative power, uh, the way people have been using it, you know, over the years. But I think in my own journey, I've always been a big girl. Um, <laughs> uh, well, since the second grade, anyway. I haven't really, unless people have used it towards me in a negative way, and it's been... An, that hasn't happened a whole lot, but the times that it has happened, uh, it's been very uh, traumatic. But um, I know that, you know, I'm, I'm a language teacher and, you know, I love, you know, thinking about linguistics and the fact that um, language does change. It can change. It's very organic. Um, and I think we can help or people like me uh, and, and people like you, we can help change that and we can help 
maybe not necessarily make it a positive thing, uh, depending on where you are, whether whether you, or not you think fat is a, a good thing or fat is a bad thing. But I I just want in, in my own journey to um, and in my own work, I want people to know that fat is it's 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 a thing. You know, it's it's fat on your body. It's a noun. It can be a descriptor. It can be an an adjective. And not to I try not to attach a whole lot to the word because I really just want, I want to take away the negative power and I'm not going to be able to do that by myself. And, and, you know, there, of course, there are lots of people that have their you know, preconceived notions about what fat is and what a fat person is, who a fat person is and what a fat person does. Um, but I'm just, you know, I'd love for people to be able to say the word without a whole lot of, without the word having all of the weight that it does. <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> no, I, I, but you're right on. And it's, it's a polarizing word. I mean, you just hold your breath when you see someone who is overweight and your kid, and especially if it's a guy and your kid looks at him and says, is he have a baby in his big fat belly? And that stuff happens. And you, it, you know, mm-hmm. it's a hard thing. Oh, I know. <laughs> and, and you're feeling bad for the people, you know, it's a very, so how, how yeah, tell me a little more about that. Well, I actually, uh, a couple of years ago, I was at the gym and I had taken my son with me. And so we had to use the parent child locker room. And so I was in my, um, my son was in swim lessons. So I ran to the locker room to put my own bathing suit on. So I put my bathing suit on and so I'm walking through the room and there's this woman and her child and he looks at his mom and says, well, why is she so fat? (laughs) <laughs> and that was the only one only other person in the locker room oh so he was talking about me and it, you know and it kind of made me fat it made me fat it made me sad <laughs> um because the, the kid didn't make me sad it was the fact that I knew that there had been some conversation either in the family or in the, the kids social group or whatever um that fat was bad because of the tone with which he said that and you know and then and also the fact that mom didn't say anything she didn't respond she didn't say you know I wasn't expecting sorry because you know whatever but she didn't say anything I don't know if she was embarrassed or if she and she like avoided looking at me so so that was that was really sad to me so you know that there are conversations you know that you know each family has its own set of sort of parameters of what they think is healthy and what they think is isn't and you know every family has conversations and so it was clear to me that you know fat was a negative thing um and here I was at the gym (laughs) right right doing positive things for your body and you know we should give people you know exactly you know we should give people a little foundation too because we're talking about this but they're not they don't necessarily know you you are on a fitness journey in your life and at a certain point your weight had gotten to a place that wasn't healthy and i do want to hit on this Um, concept of health at every size so maybe you can share with us your journey kind of your own weight journey let's call it yeah sure um i in, in 2008, I was working at another boarding school. I actually had gained a lot of weight from having moved from New York to Maryland, um, where I had to drive everywhere, and that was a new thing for me. Because, um, you know, in New York City, you walk everywhere. You take public transportation. You're walking up and down stairs in your apartment building and the subway. You know, so it's, it's a very active 
way of living. You know, even if you don't, if even if you don't want to be active, <laughs> you have to. Um, and so, and I was fine. Um, and I had, I had a my son. He was he was one and a half when we moved to Maryland. So, and you know, it was very stressful. I gained a lot of weight driving everywhere. I, my husband hadn't moved down with us yet, and so it was just me and my son. And I was stressed out um, at this job. Gained a lot of weight. Had a you know problems with like hip bursitis and it was it was awful. So I decided to move to New Jersey and I took a job at a boarding school, which was also very stressful. Um, but my husband was there at least, and I was in grad school. <laughs> Working at a boarding school is uh, basically a twenty-four hour job. You um, even when you're not on duty, if you're on campus, if anything happens, you're on call basically. And so um, and you. And when you are on duty, it's it's pretty intense. You're doing dorm duty, you're doing study hall duty, you're, and, and this is all in addition to your regular teaching um, duties and during the daytime. Um, and, and then you're also um, in charge of kids over the weekends, you know, because it's you know that, that's where they live. And so um, I lived in a dorm. I, I helped run a dorm, and um, my son was always sick. I was always sick. Things kind of it just got out of control, um, and I was always also in grad school. So, <laughs> um, so one summer in the summer of 2008, I was driving back from my side hustle. <laughs> I um, taught piano lessons and voice lessons and private Spanish lessons and other things to, to some former students of mine in Maryland, and so I, I commuted every weekend. On my way back one day, I started having chest pains in Pennsylvania. And, uh, and and it, it was really weird. I'd never had those types of pains before. And, um, you know, so I'm getting nervous. I started to hyperventilate. Uh, and so I pulled over. And I had this whole conversation in my head. Well, what should I do? Am I having a heart attack? Oh, my God, I think I'm having a heart attack. My son's in the back of the car. Should I continue? Should I call 911? What's going to happen? I decided to keep driving, <laughs> you know, which in hindsight isn't the, the smartest thing to do. But, you know, I had all these other worries about what was going to happen to my son. If I, you know, if I called 911, where was he going to go? You know, <laughs> so uh, so stupidly, I continued driving, um, got home. The pains had subsided somewhat, but they were still there. Uh, I called a colleague. She called. She came over and took me to the hospital. I wasn't having a heart attack, but I followed up with a um, with a cardiologist um, who said basically said to me, um, "Well, this wasn't a cardiac event, but you know." And he asked me if I wanted to um, see my child grow up. <laughs> so, wow, that is freaking yeah. heavy. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's how cardiologists have to be, you know. Um, you know, he was blunt, and and I, and that was. That was when I said, "Okay, well, I have to find a way to, to change my lifestyle." You know, and not. It, and he's like, "You have to lose weight." I'm like, "I know. I, I knew intellectually that I gained weight, and you know, things were kind of spiraling out of control. Not in terms of eating, but I wasn't sleeping. I, you know, again, I was sick all the time. I was working a lot, as you do in a boarding school. Um, and and then I had the side hustle on the weekend, and so like I, I really wasn't taking care of myself. And then my son had gotten pneumonia once already. And, you know, so like I spent a lot of time worrying. And so I'm, you know, I'm sure my cortisol levels were just really, really extremely high. Um, and so I, as soon as the cardiologist said that to me, I said, you know what, I gotta, I gotta do something. And um, so I did. Yeah, so I did. And that that was 
that was it. That was all I needed. You know, I had that scare, and then he said, you've got to change or you're going to die. So <laughs> so when that thought came into my mind, I'm like, okay, I'll do it. And that's, that's what started me um, running again, going back to the gym, and doing the things that I need to do for myself to, to save myself. So what was the sort of highest weight level you'd gotten to? It was over 300 pounds, and I'm not sure how much over 300 pounds it was um, because I you know, I hadn't bothered to weigh myself. But when I did weigh myself, after I clearly lost a lot of weight, I, it was like 290-something. So <laughs> so, I was, I, so I know I was over 300 pounds. Wow. Um, and, and I'm not, I am not a person who steps on a scale. I usually don't. That's not like what it is for me, but a lot of people you know, do that does resonate with them. They, and you have to have some kind of benchmark sometimes when you are trying to change your life. So, so, and that was in your, how old were you when that I happened? Forty-one. <laughs> um, I was in my 35. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so when you started on this new process, so wait, actually I need to share something. So, <laughs> I think that a lot of us have these wake up moments and they're for different reasons. And some people are going to be relating exactly to what you're talking about. And we know we've gotten to a place that's not great. Mm -hmm. And people in our lives that love us don't want to tell us because it would hurt our feelings. Or if they do tell us, we don't want to hear it from them. (laughs) So, so it takes like a expert or a, a care provider or somebody to say, Hey, this is it. And be blunt and do that. Right. And I will tell you, right. when when I was 39 and said, I think I want to get pregnant, I was running a life mm-hmm. that was literally just on the run all the time, like running from meeting right. to meeting and running to get a workout in and running from the workout. And I remember running from this run to the acupuncturist, this uh, amazing guy, <laughs> and his name's Tingling, and uh, he's apparently uh-huh. been knocking up women in Boulder for decades. He uh, He's like a magic guy <laughs> as far as acupuncture for women trying to get pregnant. But um, he just looked at me and said, Nicole, you need to slow down your life. You will not get pregnant. Mm-hmm. You have to make a change. And it hit me. It, it wouldn't have mattered if my husband said it or other people, but... I think this message of listening to your body and yes, occasionally we get to a point where things sort of blow up, but you have to take it seriously at some point. And I just, I give you so much kudos for really listening and taking that to heart, even though you knew it was not going to be an easy road ahead. It's a hard thing. Um, It's hard with family members and friends because I, you know, I always, and I've even written about this in my blog, you know, unless you have a really special relationship with somebody and unless you have, you know, a relationship in which you can be brutally honest, it's really hard to tell somebody, Hey, like you really need to slow down or Hey, you know, you need to get some sleep. You need to, and, and, and I hesitate to say you need to lose weight, like, because that has a whole other set of (laughs) things that come along with it, you know? Um, and, it's 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 really really hard, and especially when you don't have a uh, a professional or you know a doctor or somebody to tell you that. Uh, it's hard to kind of see that in yourself. You might know it intellectually, like I know I need to sleep more. I know I need to, you know, go to the gym or lose weight or take a walk. I know I need to do this, but like I can't like I can't figure out a way to 
to marry the intellectual side of myself with the emotional side. <laughs> you know, I can't figure out how to do that. So it's really, really difficult. Like I don't, you know, anybody who who makes a change just on their own, I like I give them mad kudos for it because because it's really, really hard, especially in the United States. We have this lifestyle where we praise being busy all the time and we praise we, we kind of like brag about, oh, well, I only got three hours of sleep. I only got two hours of sleep, but I went to work anyway. And, and you know, <laughs> so, and that's, that's horrible. It's awful. It's awful that we think that being busy and not taking care of ourselves is, you know, something that, to be proud of. Um, and so, like, so it, taking that into consideration, it's, it's anybody who manages to say, look at themselves in the mirror and say, I really need to change and I'm going to do it right now. That is an amazing feat. It's also an amazing feat to have somebody tell you that, that you need to change and to, to take it to heart and actually do it. Um, it, it, <laughs> it does. It requires some humility for sure. And you kind of have to let your ego go and you've got to yeah. let go of other preconceived notions, like you said, things that you may have valued before and change your value system. That's yeah. huge. Yeah. So if somebody is actually getting started, you know, you didn't go from that realization to running ultra marathons, holy cow, no. which we're going to get into. <laughs> you didn't go from that, you know, place to that new place overnight. So how does somebody get started? How did you take your first few steps? I actually, you know, I, I had always loved running and I knew that it made me feel good. So I said, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to get on this treadmill <laughs> And I'm going to try to run a mile. And it was, it was, it was awful. Because <laughs> I hadn't run in a couple of years. And, you know, again, I'm like at my heaviest weight. I'm, you know, sick all the time. So I was like, I'm just, I'm going to try to run a mile. And I didn't actually end up running a whole lot. It was mostly walking and it took me 17 minutes and 45 seconds. And, you know, I was disappointed in myself. I said, you know, how did I get here? And, but then I was like, I can't think about how I got here. I'm just trying, I'm trying to get somewhere else. So, um, so even though that was disappointing and I was a little bit discouraged, I was more, I was actually more encouraged to, to keep going. I was like, well, I got to get my time down, <laughs> you know, cause I don't want to be running 17, 18 minute miles. Cause that's, that's no, that's, I can do better than that. So that's, you know, for me, that was the motivation. And I also, I just knew that I needed to be more active. And so that's what I did. I made it a point almost every day to do something if it was running on a treadmill if it was um if it was you know going outside and taking a walk if it was you know i i was on a boarding school campus so like I, I had access to a gym so i would just go across the field and go to the gym for a couple of minutes and i managed to do something every day i had lots of videos so i used videos i love videos um you know when i didn't feel like going outside and um so that was it i made it I made it a point to do something every day. I knew that I would not see results in two days. You know, and that's, that's, that's you know, we get ourselves into this mindset, well, I, I need fast results. It's, that's not going to happen. Um, and, and, you know, when it does happen, you end up gaining all the weight. You end up losing all your fitness, you know, immediately. So um, as soon as you stop. So I knew that it was going to be a really slow process. But I knew that in that doing that, I was changing my life little by little. So um, as long as you know that you, you have to be in it for the long haul, you are not, if you're trying to lose weight or, or if you're, you know, trying to gain more muscle, if you're trying to do whatever, like lengthen your distances, you know, it's not going to happen overnight. You know, it sometimes it takes months and months and months to, to really get some noticeable changes on the outside. But, you know, 
we have to be aware that every time you do something, you're changing yourself on the inside. And that not just physically, emotionally and mentally too. This is almost like a perfect example of goal setting 101. Like there was a bigger picture long-term goal, which I'm not exactly sure what that was, but... It was just health. For me, it was health. just health. Health. Yeah. And so it wasn't, hey, I want to be at a certain weight. You knew that the weight would come off through this process, at least to get to a healthy place for you, at yeah. the size that's right for you. Right. And um, But what I love about it is that what makes a lofty goal like that realistic is you took this pragmatic daily approach of, I'm just going to do something every day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And for that's- a lot of people, yeah, that stops them in their tracks because they're like, well, I can't get out for my one hour or whatever. Well, get 20 minutes, just do right. something. That's- like, for example, this morning, um, I woke up and I my flight had been delayed last night and I got in really, really late. And I was like, and I was planning to do this big workout. Um, and and, I was, and I've been having breathing problems because I've been living in Georgia and we've been having forest and wildfires. And so um, so I was like, I, there's no way I'm going to get a workout in because I can't even breathe. I can't sleep. <laughs> but I got up and I was like, I have to do something today. I, just, I have to do something today. So I got 20 minutes in because that's all the time I had um, <laughs> to get on the elliptical. What, was it the workout I wanted to do? No, but it was a workout. I burn calories. <laughs> I feel great now. Um, but you have to find something, you know, even if, you know what, even if it's five minutes. Because once you get in that habit, you know, I, and I guarantee you, you're not only going to work out for five minutes. <laughs> True. You start mm-hmm. with the goal, of, I'm only going to go for five minutes. I'm going to walk for five minutes. And you start feeling good. You're like, oh, yeah, I had a couple of minutes to that, you know. So, I mean, it really very, very small increments. And you talk about having smart goals. I actually wrote about this in Women's Running Magazine, smart goals being, and I, of course, <laughs> at a loss for what the uh, acronym stands for, <laughs> um, specific, measurable, um, achievable, I don't Realistic? Realistic. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, and, and timely. And timely. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, you know, like, that's exactly what you have to do. It, it's great to have a big goal at the end like maybe you want to do a 10k or maybe you want to be able to walk outside for 20 minutes without stopping and without huffing and puffing you know whatever your goal is you know but you have to have those smaller goals and you have to make sure that they are achievable and that you create a habit because it takes 21 days to create a habit right um and people, people don't believe that it takes 21 days do it every day, even if, it's, even if it's for five minutes, 10 minutes. Do it every day, and it becomes a habit. And then it becomes something that you look forward to. Um, so, yeah, so, <laughs> I go on and on. <laughs> so what's the most important habit you recommend people start working on? Getting up, you know, I, I don't know, like there's so many things that you could do. And, and it really depends on, it really depends on the type of person you are. Like maybe you're an, an early morning person. So I'm going to start the habit of getting up at 5 and having my coffee and working out for 10 minutes. You know, very small, very achievable. It's definitely, it's very doable, right? Somewhat realistic. Very (laughs) realistic and very doable. If you are somebody, you're a night owl, or you are a better person in the afternoon, that is not me, (laughs) by the way. (laughs) I'm great in the morning. Um, But if you're in the, if it's the afternoon and you are, you're like more energized in the afternoon. Maybe do something in the afternoon. Okay, after work, I'm gonna take a walk. 
um, or I'm going to go downstairs in the work gym and, you know, get on the bike for 10 minutes, or I'm going to sign up for a soul cycle class, or, you know, whatever it is, uh, whatever you have um, accessible to you. Maybe you have a treadmill in, in your house. Maybe you have some weights in your house. Maybe you have videos. There's so many things on YouTube right now that are free of charge. You know, I'm going to try out this new yoga thing, you know, on YouTube that I found that my friend sent me, or I'm going to, I don't know, whatever it is. <laughs> But, it, you know, like, just make it, it make it timely. You know, I'm going to do this by the end of the day or I'm going to do this by 8 o'clock. Um, um, you can tell that I'm in D.C. because there are sirens out right now. <laughs> They're after you. Um, I love this. So the, so let's let's get that thing and set a goal to do it for 21 days. All right. So one more question, too, about a process when people are trying to regain or gain health for the first time. Um, is there a certain test that you need to talk to your doctor about or can you walk into a lab and get blood work drawn or is there some kind of measure that you recommend or that you follow? You know, I try to get a physical every year. <laughs> um, you know, I'm not a doctor. I don't, you know, I don't know. But I, I mean, I know what my numbers should be. And what, what um, and, numbers? And, and, Does that mean I'm like sorry? cholesterol? You're like, like your metabolic numbers. You're like blood sugar and your blood pressure and all that stuff. And I know what my numbers are and what they what my ideal numbers are for somebody my size and my, my height and weight and whatnot and um, and I try to stay on top of that I mean I absolutely recommend going to a doctor before you start any kind of exercise regimen because you don't know you might have underlying things going on and you don't want to put yourself in a situation where you can't you do the physical activity you want to uh, because of some condition that you didn't know about so definitely go see your physician and um, you know, and get some guidance. You know, some people go see a nutritionist, which is great, you know, but I, you know, I think as far as like knowing where you need to be, where you should be, I think, I think that's also important, you know, I don't know. <laughs> so you kind of need an early consult to understand your numbers and then you need to be checking on them like yearly or when you're feeling yeah. like your body's off. Yep. Yeah. So, uh, your blog is called fat girl running. So we know that while you are feeling in a healthy place, you still sort of categorize yourself using that word fat. Mm -hmm. And that's a positive thing. That's so how, how, how did you start the blog? What does this mean? Tell us about your, your foray into the world of running and ultra running. In 2008, I started doing five, a bunch of 5Ks because that was just, those were small goals for me. Like I'm going to do two 5Ks this week. I'm a teacher, so I have the summers off. So I had lots of time to do that. So 5Ks, 10Ks, um, and that morphed into half marathons. And then a friend of mine said, hey, you know, you've been doing so many half marathons. Why not do a, a marathon? I'm like, seriously? Okay, fine. And so as I was training for my first marathon, which was the Marine Corps Marathon in 2011, I decided to reopen this blog that I had started two years before. I just opened the name, you know, gave it a name. And uh, in 2011, I said, you know, I'm actually going to write in the blog because I want, you know, I'd been um, posting on Facebook all of my, okay, I'm doing uh, 5K this week. I'm doing a 10K this week. Oh, I'm at the gym doing this. And I would post what I was doing you know, to keep my physical fitness uh, level up. And, uh, and somebody suggested, you know, just write it, you know, do a blog. And so I started writing about my training for the marathon. Yeah, that was in 2011. And, you know, I wrote in it every couple of weeks, every month or so. It wasn't a big thing. I, I just wanted to write and to share my enthusiasm for running and, you know, and, you know, to share it with my family and friends. And, and, and fat girl running actually was, I was, 
a lot of people like messaged me and said, well, I don't know where you're calling your blog that, you know, don't you think that's a negative thing? I'm like, no, I'm fat and I run. <laughs> you know, I don't see that as negative. So I decided to keep the name. A couple of years later, again, I'm only posting every couple of weeks or so. Sometimes, you know, it takes me months to finish a post uh, because I was working at a boarding school, very busy. In 2015, early 2015, um, and by this point, I had done, um, I had you know done marathons, and I would sort of gotten into the world of ultra running. Um, I'd done, I think I had, I'd done two um, ultras, maybe two or three ultras by that point. I get a call from Rachel Bachman at Wall Street Journal. Hey, I've been reading your blog. Oh my god. <laughs> And, uh, you know, I'd love to interview you about, you know, whether or not, even, even if you don't lose a whole bunch of weight while you're, while you're exercising and you're a big person, is it, does it matter? Like, should you still be exercising? Like, you know, does it still have health benefits? So that came out a couple of days later in February, and then that kind of, it brought a lot of attention to my blog. And then a couple of weeks later, John Bryant uh, John Brandt from Runner's World uh, contacted me and asked me if he could do a feature on me. And so like <laughs> that, that, you know, it just kind of exploded and things kept happening. And um, I got a lot of calls from various, you know, media outlets asking me to tell their, my story. And, and then NBC came going. <laughs> and so I did the NBC special, and, uh, the NBC nightly news uh, piece. Yeah. And it's just been uh, one thing after the other. And, the great thing about this is that I've been able to just be myself and because, you know, and just to keep doing what I've always done. Um, and, and it really is, it's very heartwarming to see that there's so many people that number one are grateful to see somebody like me in the spotlight sometimes because they see themselves, they see themselves in me. Um, they see a part of their own story in me. They are tired of not having their body types represented in media. And so when they see me, they're like, oh my God, thank you. And it also, a lot of people have, have said that seeing me gives them permission to go out and try something, you know, like running or, you know, or just being outside in public in their bodies without being ashamed. So that's that has been absolutely tremendous. Well, you are a role model for so many. I'm sure the kids that you teach... Um, are really taking in so much more than you would ever know. So not only for the other women out there and men who can uh, relate to your experience, but to a whole nother generation of kids who we want to grow up strong, confident, with great body image. So thank you for your awesome work. <laughs> thank you. Um, so what's one word that describes your outlook on life? Um, one word? <laughs> That's hard. Did you know I'm a teacher? <laughs> uh, open. There you go. Open. You I know, love be it. open to the possibility. Open to life. Open to whatever comes at you. Um, open to people. Have an open heart. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That is an awesome <laughs> word. Awesome word. Um, you have a book coming out, correct? Oh my God. Yes. <laughs> tell, tell us about the book and when it's coming, where we can get uh, it. Hey, yeah. Um, I. Actually, um, I finished the first, oh my goodness, I finished the first draft a couple of weeks ago, actually the day before the Marine Corps Marathon. <laughs> uh, 
at 9.28 p.m. on a Saturday night. And um, so uh, it, the book is called um, A Beautiful Work in Progress. It might have a slightly different title come September 2017 when it is out. I'm calling it a body positive running memoir. Um, and it's it's definitely memoir it has a lot of sort of you know background fun biographical stuff, but it also has uh, a lot of very extended race reports from you know from marathons to my first 100k um, race, the Havelina 100 100k uh, that I did last year. To like, and I talk about tough mutters because I've started doing those this year too. So yeah, it's got a little bit of everything uh, for every kind of athlete. Uh, and I'm really, really, really excited. I actually just got the manuscript back from the editor. <laughs> I'm scared to open it. <laughs> oh, boy. Hey, you're a teacher. You can take the critiques. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. Well, we'll do a follow-up interview in September next year when the book comes out and uh, be able to really share how people can get in on the action. So I have one more question. And this is a question I ask every guest who comes on the show. As you know, the name of the podcast is Run This World, and it's based around the amount of time it takes the average person to do a 5K, which is 36 minutes and 38 seconds. What's your fastest 5K? My fastest 5K was, it was 35.23. Oh, my, you are above <laughs> average. Woo! Um, but what I really want people to get from this is one amazing piece of advice, one nugget from each guest that can help them run their worlds in bigger and better ways than before. So what is your piece of advice for our listeners? I say this every time, but I've, I've you know, and it's so simple. <laughs> Get over yourself, lace up and go. Awesome. Well, that sums it up. We don't even need to elaborate. <laughs> I love it. Myrna, thank you so much for being on the show. You're an incredible, beautiful, vibrant piece of energy out there in the world, and we need more of you. Thank you. Thank you for having me on the podcast, and also thank you for having me be a part of the Skirt Sports family. I am so honored to you know, be in the family with you guys. Well, we are all about real women and encouraging movement. So you are an absolute perfect fit. All right. Keep doing what you do. Thank you. You too. What a cool, cool chick. I love Myrna. I'm sure you all felt the same. Her laugh is infectious. It's like this little giggle that just sort of comes up throughout. And what she helps us do through you know, her ability to have accepted herself over time is to make all of us feel a little more comfortable accepting the things about ourselves that are tough sometimes to, uh, to accept and things that we know we may want to change, but be okay with being yourself through that process. And I think that's a really important thing, not trying to be someone else, but just being who you are and owning it. Um, I love a few of these quotes. I can't think about how I got here because I know I need to get somewhere else. We spend a lot of time dwelling on the past, but that is not helpful to anyone. And I love this concept of health at every size. Granted, we all can agree in Myrna too that there are some uh, issues that go beyond your size and, and you know maybe are not healthy. But if you are on a positive journey and your body levels out at a certain point and your numbers are okay and your doctors support you, 
um, it, it, it's you're you're on the path to health and happiness, and that's what's important. And you know that story about the little boy in the locker room. We've all been there, whether it's our kids saying it whether it's um, someone else's kid or person saying something about us when we're standing right there. You know, that little incident really can make you think about how to handle a situation like that. And the biggest thing is that you don't just pretend nothing happened. It's okay to engage in some conversation and, uh, and make it real and personal. You know, one of the big things that she ended with that I think is really relevant for all of us because it just cuts to the chase. Get over yourself, lace up and go. And you know, for this podcast, that is incredibly relevant. (laughs) So before I I break today, I just want to remind you all that if you do have a moment, please go over to iTunes and write a review for Run This World with Nicole DeBoom. We don't have too many reviews up there yet. We need to get some up there so that the podcast will get ranked and more people can benefit from hearing from these incredibly inspirational people. So make sure you do that. And if you have any suggestions or recommendations for future guests, please let me know. Um, My next interview will come out just before Christmas time, and it is going to be with my husband, Tim DeBoom. So, ha ha, we'll see how that one goes. probably want to see that one on video. Good Lord. Um, All right, everybody. On that note, you know what time it is. It's time to get out there and run this world. Have a great workout. We'll see you next week.